Hello, and welcome to Wooden Teeth, the podcast about truth-telling on politics and health. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today's truth. America, I love you, but we have a drinking problem. Maybe you don't want to hear that. Maybe you really enjoy alcohol and don't want to hear about yet another thing that's bad for you. I can relate, trust me. I don't love reading about recent research that indicates that consuming alcohol, even at low levels, is detrimental to your health. But the incremental negative impact of light drinking isn't really what we're talking about today. Instead, we're addressing the rise in excessive drinking, why it's happening, and what it means for public health. You may have already heard that alcohol consumption increased during the pandemic. That's true. During the pandemic, alcohol deaths rose by 25%. What you might be less aware of is the rise in drinking among women. Data from 2019 shows that women in their teens and early 20s reported drinking and getting drunk at higher rates than their male peers, in some cases for the first time since researchers began measuring such behavior. Even before the pandemic, alcohol deaths were on the rise and one in five deaths among adults aged 20 to 49 was linked to alcohol. Early data shows that we shouldn't necessarily expect this trend to reverse as we exit the pandemic. New research from the Commonwealth Fund, for example, shows that alcohol-related liver disease is set to skyrocket through 2040, absent any intervention. Can we intervene? Alcohol is firmly a part of our culture. We've legalized marijuana in many places, but I would argue that putting out gummies at a party is still less socially acceptable on average than providing alcohol, even though the health risk of alcohol is greater. I think we can. I think we can change the culture around this topic because we have before. I'm going to play you a clip of news coverage from the 80s when we first began to pass laws that further restricted drinking and driving. Here we go. Still, any attempt to restrict drinking and driving here is viewed by some as downright undemocratic. It's kind of getting common this when a fella can't put in a hard day's work, put in 11, 12 hours a day, and then get in your truck and at least run one or two beers. They're making it laws where you can't drink when you want to. You can't. You have to wear a seatbelt when you're driving. And pretty soon we're going to become this country. Laws, attitudes, and ultimately the rate of drunk driving accidents did change despite initial resistance. So, what do we do this time around? That's what I spoke with Dr. Bill Berman about. Dr. Berman is a public health an infectious disease physician and the former executive director of the Public Health Institute at Denver Health. He's also a professor of medicine and epidemiology at the University of Colorado, Denver, and shoots medical campus. I've had a years-long dialogue with Dr. Berman about this topic, and I'm really happy I get to share his wisdom with you all right now. Dr. Bill Berman, welcome. Thank you. Let's jump right into it. What's up? Why is alcohol use on the rise? I think there's a couple of effects. There's a short-term effect that's clearly from the pandemic. So in our state and across the country, there were substantial increases in alcohol consumptions uh, related to the pandemic. Why is that? Well, surely there are aspects of social isolation, 
uh, increases in behavioral health issues like depression and anxiety that are closely associated with alcohol. So I don't think it's difficult to understand why that increase took place. Importantly, with just a year or two afterwards, we've already started to see an increase in complications. So severe liver disease, death, uh, rates have all increased related to that increase in consumption during the pandemic. There's a longer term effect that I think is probably more important, and that's really the rise of drinking and risky drinking in particular in a vulnerable group, and that's women and girls. Traditionally, alcohol was like tobacco many years ago in which the consumption was much higher in men and women. That's really changed over the last 30 years here so that now rates of alcohol use in women are approaching those of men. Just as an example, in Colorado, 22% of men said in a survey that they had had binge drinking in the past 30 days. It was 15% of women. So that ratio isn't very high uh, and certainly different from 30 years ago. You see that trend even more clearly in youth. So in a recent survey, a higher percentage of adolescent females reported binge drinking in the past 30 days than adolescent males. And so by the time they finish high school, adolescents are drinking at the rate of adults. So about one in five report binge drinking in the last, in the last 30 days. And why has that led to, to problems with alcohol? Well, it's because women are biologically more vulnerable to the negative impacts of alcohol. Uh, that's been known for many years. So un an unfortunate thing that has accompanied the rise of alcohol consumption in women and girls is a marked rise in adverse health outcomes. So end-stage liver disease, death, suicide uh, related to alcohol have all increased substantially. There's another factor that's worth pointing out about alcohol, and it relates to this basic aspect of, of human psychology and physiology, and that is we notice a lot more something that's changing than something that's stable. Because the underlying story of alcohol is that it's been terrible for decades. We've had high rates of alcohol use and high rates of complications, serious health complications from alcohol for decades. So for example, uh, in Colorado, uh, as I said, one in five adults report binge drinking in the past 30 days. We have high rates of suicide related to alcohol. We have more than 2,000 deaths per year in this state related to alcohol. So in many ways, the story of alcohol is the ongoing carnage of an epidemic that's been underway for decades with these recent additions of increases in complications due to, due to drinking in a vulnerable population, women and, and girls, and then this added bit with, with the pandemic. Alcohol feels like more part of our culture in many ways than when I was a kid. Um, I, I feel like you know, the social acceptance is at least as much as it was when I was a kid, although norms about and laws about drinking and driving have certainly and, and thankfully changed. But nowadays, you know, you have liquor advertising on TV. Back when I was younger, that wasn't um, allowed, or rather, I think the industry uh, self-policed and didn't actually put hard liquor advertising uh, on the airwaves. And now, in every seemingly every town and city in Colorado, there's you know your beloved local brewery and/or distillery. It's it's kind of everywhere. What role does the social acceptance and the culture cultural embeddedness of alcohol? 
what does that, what role does that play in the rise that we're seeing? Yeah, I have the same impression, Jake, and it and it concerns me a lot. I think we are all uh, more affected by social the social atmosphere than we want to admit. We are all very attuned to what's happening around us, and we largely align with what's happening around us. And I think you can see that most clearly with tobacco. I'm old, so when I was a kid, uh, people smoked on airplanes, people smoked in mm-hmm. in, yeah. in restaurants. When my second son was born and I went to find the nurses in the middle of the night, uh, the nurses in the OB ward were smoking. That's where I found them. And now we can't imagine that. Part of that is rules. Part of it, though, is social mores. We don't have to have some of those rules anymore. We're all shocked by the thought of someone smoking in a hospital. And in part, that's rules. But much more than that, it's it's the change in social norms around, around smoking. And so I worry a lot about the social norms about alcohol. They're anecdotal experiences, but I worry about them. I was skiing not long ago, and in each place I went for breakfast before skiing, they offered me alcohol with breakfast. Yeah. And I went to the ski area, and at the at the base of the ski area, they were having a, a, a special that morning, I think every morning, breakfast shots. Breakfast <laughs> shots before going out to do a physically demanding a form of exercise in which you can hurt yourself and other people. Um, I think the the social norms about alcohol have changed and in ways that are worrisome. And is this a temporary problem or is this a longer term trajectory? You mentioned that during the pandemic, we saw a spike. Is there evidence that would lead you to believe that um, this is something more than a bump? I'm not sure because, of course, we're still just sort of coming out of the pandemic uh, so it's too early to say, but like you, I worry about these successive changes in social norming around the delivery of alcohol, um, the availability of alcohol in more and more settings. I went to the theater the other night and you can drink alcohol in the theater. Uh, that didn't happen when I was a kid. Uh, so it's just more examples of the sort of self-reinforcing aspect of social norms. In this case, social norms gone awry. You practiced public health here in Denver for a long time. I just wanted to see if you could share your experience in how alcohol use uh, plays itself out on the ground. Like, what do you see, what did you see day to day in hospitals and within public health during your time in the practice? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is, again, this, this aspect of we, we get too used to things. We are so used to, I think, some aspects of the truly the carnage of alcohol that we don't really see them. Uh, and yet when we step back and look at them, they are shocking. So just a few specifics. Uh, in a carefully done study in Denver, a third of all ambulance trips were related to alcohol. Wow. One third. I can tell you from being riding with the ambulances on a Friday night, on a Friday night, it's 75%. 80% are related to alcohol. Um, in terms of it, uh, visits to the emergency department or hospitalizations, alcohol causes more than any other drug class, hands down, by a lot, not by a little. Uh, Denver's detox center, more than 90% of the, of the individuals who are admitted there are admitted there for alcohol. Um, so you just see this, this ongoing high-level rate of complications related to alcohol. 
Uh, and we're seeing those play out in, in population level data. So rapidly rising rates of severe liver disease, rapidly rising rates of mortality related to alcohol. Some specifics are that within just the past year, past 10 years rather, the rate of, of mortality related to alcohol has doubled in Colorado. Mm. And it is now twice as high as the national average. And so I, I think those are just some examples. Other examples, one in four suicides in our state is related to alcohol. One in three fatal car accidents, despite all the work done on, on drunk driving, one in three fatal car crashes related to alcohol. And for my colleagues who work in intimate partner violence, child abuse, alcohol is a core factor in all those things. So it truly is the ongoing carnage of an epidemic that we largely don't see because we're too used to it. I was just in South Africa where they had uh, some pretty, uh, compared to the United States, severe restrictions during the pandemic. And one of them was a ban on the sale of alcohol. And they did it in order to keep people out of the emergency room so that they could have the capacity to address people who were coming in for COVID. And it worked. They saw a dramatic decline in um, ER admittance because of uh, that ban on the sale of, of alcohol. So that tells you something about uh, granted, that's a different country, but it tells you something about um, something we share, perhaps, uh, with jurisdictions like that. Yep. Very interesting experience. So what can we do about this? Are you going to change the culture overnight? I mean, I'm part of the problem. I, I enjoy occasional drinking myself uh, as well. Like, what can we do? I, I do, too. And, and the first thing I'd start with is that what I'm not in favor of is prohibition. Prohibition was a huge policy failure. Uh, period. There's no no other way to characterize that. And I don't think it's necessary. Um, and again, the analogy of tobacco says that very meaningful changes can be made with tremendous health benefits without prohibition. So we've never prohibited cigarettes and we've decreased the per capita consumption by more than 75% over the last 50 years. The benefits of that are huge. So dramatic reductions in lung cancer, fatal lung cancer, heart attacks, strokes, uh, chronic lung disease, etc. Um, so I think that's the demonstration that we can have a very meaningful impact on a substance whose use is truly embedded in our society. And tobacco is that, and alcohol is that. So that's the first point. I am not in any way for prohibition. I'm after responsible alcohol use. Um, that's the first point. What can we do about it? Well, I think the, the, the key first step is to increase alcohol excise taxes. Uh, there, to make it a little confusing, there are three separate excise taxes on alcohol, one on beer, one on wine, and a third on distilled spirits. In Colorado's case, each of those is among the lowest in the country. They're like 44th, 45th, and 46th, or something like that. Uh, in the country, they're, they're some of the lowest in the region. Only my home state of Wyoming has lower alcohol taxes. Uh, and so raising alcohol excise taxes has clear benefits. There's strong evidence that it leads to decreased consumption, uh, particularly among young people and people who drink a lot. Uh, and that then plays out as decreased risks of a number of key health outcomes, fatal car accidents, suicides, 
sexually transmitted infections, a host of uh, important health outcomes have been shown to decrease after an increase in alcohol excise taxes. There's a second important aspect about alcohol excise taxes, and that is parts of the revenue that comes from an alcohol excise tax can be used to fund other evidence-based interventions for alcohol prevention and treatment. Uh, so for example, a key aspect of tobacco control in the last 50 years has been consistent, clear, well-designed public messaging about tobacco. Uh, the evidence shows overwhelmingly that that was highly effective in educating our, our country about the risks of tobacco. We've done nothing like that with alcohol. We've left the entire marketing field to the industry, uh, and the industry has responded with, I think, inappropriate uh, marketing campaigns directed at girls, young women, um, with things like Mommy's Little Helper Wine and and skinny girl margaritas and cupcake vodka. Mm -hmm. uh, it, is, it is irresponsible to market a substance which is known to cause uh, birth defects and breast cancer to women as mommy's little helper. And that's what's happened with, with the free reign that the industry has had on alcohol marketing. And we need to counter that with clear, accurate public messaging. Well, the point is an alcohol excise tax increase can help pay for that kind of, of ongoing intervention. The second part is that our alcohol uh, treatment system is incomplete. Uh, we have significant gaps in the ability to provide the appropriate medical treatment for individuals who suffer from alcohol use disorder. We need to fill those to assure that every person who wants and is ready for treatment for alcohol use disorder is able to get it and get the treatment that they need. So that's why I see an increase in alcohol excise tax as such a key step. It's effective in its own right, and then it provides us with the funding to do other evidence-based interventions. So I imagine that the people who would be most sensitive to an increase in alcohol tax would be people of lower incomes. Is, is that correct? I mean, I, you know, I, I have heard concerns about the supposed regressivity of alcohol tax. What would you say about that? Yeah, it's a common concern, and yet it's one that's easily addressed. The first point to make is that 40% of Coloradans either don't drink or drink very infrequently. Uh, and those actually tend to be more often low income persons. And so those individuals will face little, if any, impact from an increase in alcohol excise tax. And one of the other important points is they're paying right now for the complications that alcohol causes for our society. Because current alcohol excise taxes pay its estimated 6% of the cost that alcohol imposes on our society. Mm -hmm. Where does the rest come from? It comes from general taxes, which go to pay for health care, public safety, and other matters. So importantly, 40% of our population is paying for the complications of alcohol, uh, even though they don't drink or drink very infrequently. Secondly, of those people who do consume alcohol, they tend to be more often white and more often have, have relatively high incomes. So unlike some other substances like tobacco, in which the, the regressivity argument is more telling, it's not correct in alcohol. Uh, a small percentage of Coloradans would pay the bulk of a tax, uh, and those don't tend to be low-income individuals. Good to know. 
So all that's a lot of words, and I think it might be helpful to summarize in a lot fewer words. And I'd say they're these. Uh, we drink a lot in Colorado. That's clear from uh, the data that we've gone over, the comparisons to other states. We have a lot of serious alcohol-related health problems. As I mentioned, we have twice the mortality rate as the country. Uh, that mortality rate has doubled in the past 10 years. Thirdly, alcohol-related health problems and public safety problems are very expensive for our system. It's estimated actually using 2010 data that the cost per individual of post imposed by alcohol per year in Colorado is $1,000. Well, it was $1,000 in 2010. It's surely much more than that. So alcohol is very expensive for us. And our current exercise to excise taxes are some of the lowest in the country. I think that tells a story. And the story it tells us is that we need to increase our alcohol excise taxes. That was an excellent summary. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Dr. Berman. If you like what we're doing, please rate and subscribe. I'll see you next time.